Thank you, choir. And before we open God's word together, let us let us go before our King. God, we recognize you as sovereign, and we know that you are the creator of all things, and you rule and reign over all things. And we come before you humbly, asking that even in this moment, that you would speak to our hearts as we read your word and study your word together. Lord, would you, by your Holy Spirit, apply your eternal truths to our soul, that we may be motivated and energized to carry out your will wherever we may go. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was looking over this passage, this passage in Colossians chapter 1, that we're going to look at this morning, verses 21 through 29, one of the questions that kind of came to my mind was the fact that, you know, have you ever noticed that you just can't please everyone all the time? We all know that, right? You just can't do it. Uh, If you... You know, decide to pull for this basketball team or this football team. Some people are going to like that. Some people are not going to like that, right? And that's just something as insignificant as cheering on a, a sports team. But when you think about taking stand on what's true, obviously there's even more at stake as far as those who will encourage that, those who may oppose that. And when you take a stand on truth, what you're doing is two things. One... You're, you're pointing to a direction to how you think how you think things ought to be, right? And this will cause friction, though, with those who disagree with that direction or disagree with that statement. And this is especially true for those who follow Jesus. You know, there are wonderful benefits of following Jesus, being a Christian. I mean, you you receive wonderful blessings. And the fact that you're reconciled to God, your sins forgiven, you have an eternal hope. I mean, these are wonderful things. You can live life the way you were meant to live. And you'll spend eternity with God. But there are also some challenges that come along with, with following Jesus. And this is something the Colossian Christians were, were experiencing when Paul wrote this letter to them. Paul actually had never been a Colossi. He had never met these people, but he heard of their faith through a man named Epaphras. And he also heard, though, there was some difficulty in the church. People were coming in and began to teach things that were contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul fires off this letter, and he goes through several things, several wonderful things in chapter 1, how he's praying for them, and he hears about their faith and their love and their hope, and uh, he's just really excited about what God's doing with them. But as he gets in chapter 1, verses 21 through 29, he begins to make a move to uh, explain even more what is true of the gospel and what is true of you in Christ. And then he also makes a move into his own ministry and the reality of being a Christian and what this means. And so what we're going to see in the, in the rest of chapter 1 is we're going to see several truths about the gospel that Paul presents. And the first truth that he presents is this. That there, there is hope in Christ. There's a hope in the gospel. Verse 21, Paul writes, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled you in His body of flesh by His death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in the faith, 
stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been, been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So, so leading up to this point, Paul has uh, explained the preeminence of Christ, that Christ is in first place and He should be worshipped. He should be first place in your life. And then he talks about how through Jesus' work on the cross and through His resurrection, you know, through what He accomplished for us, that we have redemption, we have forgiveness for our sin. And then what he does in verse 21 and following is he, he reflects on the Colossians' past. And this is something that we don't necessarily need to dwell on, right? We don't want to dwell on our past, but we do want to remember where we've come from. And so Paul says, you know, you all were once alienated from God. Which means you were separated from God. You, you just didn't know what it was like to be in the family of God. You were alienated, separate. And then he says, you were hostile in mind. Meaning, you know, your, your thoughts, your affections, your desires were in opposition to God and His ways. So you were separate from God. You were moving away from God. And you were doing evil deeds. In other words, the very energy you had in your life, you were applying toward endeavors that were not honoring to the Lord. And did not flow out of a relationship with God. So, whether it be your alienation, your position, your, your thinking, your desires, or your very, your very actions, you are in a position in opposition to God. And they were no different than, than you and I. I mean, we, we were in the same position apart from Christ, right? We were positionally, actively, and mentally opposed to God. But then, Paul says... Something happened. You heard about Christ. And you were reconciled to God. And so no, no longer were you alienated from God, but you were reconciled to God. You were brought into a relationship with God through faith in Christ. And not, no longer were you hostile in mind, but Jesus will present you before God holy and blameless. No longer were you characterized by evil deeds, but Jesus will present you before God above reproach. And this is what has happened to the Colossian believers uh, in Jesus Christ. And so the hope of the gospel is that we who were once far from God are now able to be brought near to God through faith in Jesus Christ. The retired uh, South African Anglican Bishop Desmond Tutu once said this. He said, hope is being able to see that there is light despite all the darkness. So hope is the ability to see that there is light despite all the darkness. And what Paul is saying here is that there is hope in the gospel. No matter what darkness creeps into your world, or even into your mind. If you can remember what God has done for you in Christ, there is light there. There is hope there. Despite the darkness. And it's that hope which is built on the character of God and the promises of God that causes us to continue in the faith, as Paul says in verse 23, continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. Because what we know about authentic faith is that it perseveres to the end. 
It's laced with hope, and that's what helps it to just persevere and live on to the end. And so ask yourself this question, is your faith laced with hope? I mean, can you see the light? Is there some light despite the darkness that comes from knowing Christ? So we see that in Christ we we can have this hope, this eternal hope that we are reconciled to God. And Paul says it's that hope that helps us to, in his words, continue in the faith. And what really struck me here in these these verses, Paul had never met these Colossians. He's never been to this church. And yet he pens the letter encouraging them in the faith. To continue in the faith, which tells me that we need encouragement. You need encouragement. I need encouragement to continue in the faith. Right? We need encouragement. We need to be infused with courage to face life in faith in Christ. You know, we need one another. And here's my experience, and I don't know if this is true of you, but this is what my experience is. When I get discouraged or if I'm struggling with something in my life, maybe it's some sin in my life, or just difficulty, or I'm just not very optimistic about things, feeling pretty down, my tendency, I don't know about yours, my tendency is to pull away from the church. Instead of leaning into the church, I want to pull away. And I see that with other people too, that when they face hard times, they pull away. Because... I think sometimes we get in our minds that the church is for people who have it together. It's not for broken people. It's for people that are moral, good people. And if you're not that, then you shouldn't be a part of it. Well, that's the exact opposite of what the church is. The whole reason the church exists is because we're all so terribly broken. (laughs) I mean, we are a group of people that says, you know what, God, I I can't do it. I can't measure up. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I need Christ. That's why we're here. And if that's not why you're here, that just simply means you don't understand the gospel yet. Because the gospel is only for broken people. And so Paul says, I want to write this letter to these Christians to encourage them in the faith, to continue in the faith. And what that tells me is that that's what you need to. That's what I need. People in my life, people in your lives that will encourage you in the faith. This is why I encourage you almost every week to get involved in a Sunday school class. Because that's where people will get to know you and encourage you, pray for you. You can encourage others and pray for them and encourage them. That's why we gather here on Sunday morning. That's why we gather on Sunday night, Wednesday night. It's not that you have to do that. You don't have to. You know, I don't have a a chart in my office in the back there with everybody's name on it. And if you come to Sunday morning worship service, I put a gold star by your name. Or Sunday night, I put another gold star. And we see who has the most gold. That's not why we gather. We gather because we need to be reminded of the gospel. We gather because we want to. We're not forced to. We want to. And so Paul says, you need to be encouraged. You need to continue in the faith. And that's what we need. We need people in our lives to to encourage us to continue in the faith. To remind us of the hope that is in Christ. So it is a gospel of hope. 
And the second truth is, and this is why we need that so bad, this is why we need to be reminded of this so bad, is because Paul also says, if you follow Jesus, uh, you may encounter suffering. And I'm not talking about suffering related to just being in a broken world, like sickness, difficulty, things that people deal with, no matter if you're a Christian or not. I'm talking about suffering as it relates to following Jesus. And so the gospel may bring about suffering. Listen to what Paul says in verse 24. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is the church. Now when you read that verse... The phrase that jumps out to me, I don't know if it's the same one that jumps out to you, but when I read that, when Paul says, okay, in my sufferings, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, I wonder, what does that mean? And I think what we can do, first of all, is say, what, what, what doesn't it mean? It does, what does it not mean? Okay? And this is what it does not mean, because we just read earlier in chapter 1 that Jesus through His body, His death on the cross, He attained our forgiveness for sin. And so what we know it doesn't mean is that somehow by Paul suffering in prison, which he is, he's in a prison in Rome, writing this letter to the Colossians, through his suffering for the gospel, he is not in any way adding to Christ's redemptive work for you and I. I mean, that's not, that's not what he's saying here. Okay, so Paul's suffering is not adding to the atonement, you know, the, the redemptive work of Jesus. That's not what he's saying. I believe Paul is simply saying that his suffering for the sake of the gospel, his sufferings are of the same type of sufferings that Jesus experienced. In other words, it's a suffering tied to living for the kingdom of God. So it is very much connected to the suffering of Christ. And I think also this passage shows, and this is, I think, very interesting, that we are connected to Christ probably more than you think and realize. And let me just try to illustrate it like this. Have you ever been in your house, walking around with your shoes off, and hit your toe on a piece of furniture? That hurts, right? That is very painful. You're walking around, bam, hit your toe on a door jam or a toy or a piece of furniture somewhere, and it's a, there's a lot of pain there. But is the pain only, you know, isolated to the toe? No, because it originates in the toe. You hit the toe, but then through your nervous system and whatnot, it sends those messages to your brain, and your brain says, man, that hurt. And then your, your blood starts to pump and everything's going crazy because you hit your toe. My point is, when the toe gets hit, the body's affected. And what Paul says is, the church, people that are in Christ, we are the body of Christ. He is our head. In other words, what happens to us happens to Christ. Just like in Matthew when... The Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus said, 
you know, when you do something nice for someone, like give them a cup of cold water or visit them, you've done these things unto me. Just like when you do good things to others, you do them under Christ, but yet also when people do bad things to you, they do them unto Christ. Because we are His body. That is why in Acts chapter 9, before Paul became a Christian, his name was Saul, Jesus appears to Saul, and He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? He doesn't say the Christians... Even that's what Paul was doing. He was locking up the Christians. He was trying to do away with Christianity. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Is what Jesus says. And so I think what we're seeing here, a few things. One, following Jesus may include suffering for the sake of Christ. And as you suffer, there is a tie-in, a correlation to the sufferings of Christ when He was on the earth and the things that He suffered in His life based on living for the kingdom. And that may happen to you as well. And this idea of filling up that which is lacking or left behind is the idea of this suffering is not going to end until Christ returns. And so Paul, as well as other Christians around the world, until Christ returns, will be adding to this vessel of suffering until it is completely full. This isn't just for the first century, the second century, but it's for all centuries until Christ returns. And so what we see is following Christ may involve difficulty, but at the same time, God uses it for His church. And that's what Paul says. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. In other words, His suffering is somehow building up the church. I mean, just think, how many of you have been encouraged by reading a story about someone who has faced difficulty and stood for their faith in Christ? I mean, pastors, missionaries, I mean, you've been encouraged by that. Somehow God uses that to strengthen the church. And this is why Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, now just think about this. Paul, uh, the man who would go anywhere, anytime, do just about anything, share with anyone, the gospel was imprisoned in Rome, confined, isolated, taken out of population, so to speak, to some degree. You would think, wow, that's going to be a huge hindrance to Christianity, right? Because you got to say, he'll go anywhere, do anything, share with anybody. We lock him up. Well, what happens to the gospel? Well, he says in the letter to the Philippians, my imprisonment has actually worked to advance the gospel. You're like, what? So taking you out has actually increased the gospel going forward. How does that work out? I don't really know, but God uses it somehow to do that. He says, my imprisonment has worked for the advance of the gospel. And he says, because I've been imprisoned, other Christians have become more bold in sharing the gospel. So what we see is God uses suffering somehow to strengthen not only the individual believer, but also the church as a whole. And so following Jesus, yes, there is great hope in that, but there's also, uh, there may be some suffering involved. And the third thing you need to know about the gospel, if you are in Christ, you need to know this. If you're not in Christ, you also need to know this, because this would be true of you if you choose to follow Jesus. 
And that is, when you embrace the mystery of the gospel, it will thrust you into ministry. But don't let the word ministry scare you. Ministry is just a form of service. It's a form of service, how you serve people. But when you embrace the gospel, it will thrust you into ministry. Look at verse 25. Paul says, Of which I became a minister, a servant, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. So what we see here is the the gospel of Jesus Christ thrusted Paul into ministry. And his ministry and ours as well is a ministry of reconciliation. It's a ministry of reconciliation because that is what the mystery of the gospel is all about. Look at verse 27. It says, To them, the saints, the Christians, the the believers that have gone before in the Old Testament, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the mystery of the gospel is how God can unite the most unlikely of people. He can, he can unite Himself, a holy God, with sinful man through the gospel. He can unite you with people who are very much unlike you in several different ways. He can unite you in one body, one community, one church through the gospel. This is how Paul describes the ministry, I mean, the the mystery of the gospel in Ephesians 3. Just to give you a little more clarification, Ephesians 3, 6. He says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So what we see is Jew-Gentile united together in one body through the mysterious power of the gospel. And so, it is, it is this gospel that Paul was called to serve as a minister, and it's the same gospel that we are called to share with others. This is the mystery of the gospel, the reconciliation power of the gospel. And so what you need to ask yourself is this. First of all, do I believe the gospel is for everyone? And am I willing to share it with everyone? And am I willing to embrace everyone who accepts it and bring them in to the community? Because there is only one body. Christ has one body. And it's made up of those who have embraced Him by faith. No matter what you look like, no matter what your background, no matter what you've done, if you are in Christ, you are one body. And so, as Christians, we ought to be the greatest unifiers in the world around Christ. And if we're not, 
If we're actively building walls of separation, then we do not understand the gospel. That we're not believing the gospel because the gospel unites, it doesn't divide. It brings people in, no matter who they are, to one body in Christ. And then he tells us that not only do we share the gospel with others, whoever they may be, but we also build them up to maturity. Look at verses 28 and 29. He says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy, that He powerfully works within me. So he says, okay, when you embrace the gospel, it thrusts you into service, into ministry, okay, as Christians. Uh, it's like I talked with Leah, Rachel, and Jonathan up there. We congratulated them. But in my prayer, I'm saying, because of the education you receive, God is going to thrust you into different areas of, of society, and you're going to have an influence. But you need to remember, if you're in Christ, you're a minister of the gospel. You've been thrusted into ministry, and we all have if we are in Christ. And he says, there's a few things you need to realize that are involved in the ministry of the gospel. First of all, you need to proclaim it. You need to share it. You need to be able to tell people about Christ. Second, you need to warn people. In other words, you need to help them understand the application of the gospel, the truths of God, to their lives. I heard someone share this recently that, you know, so many of us treat Jesus like a member of the committee that runs our lives. We have all these members of the committee, you know. And so when we make life decisions, we sit down at the, the table with the committee and we say, well, what is the, you know, the, the, the person that represents pleasure? What do you have to say? And, uh, your career chairman, what do you say? Oh, and Jesus, what do you have to say? And so we just kind of add Jesus to the committee. But what we, what we fail, fail to realize is that Jesus has disbanded the committee. <laughs> there is no committee. It's just Him. And so what we need to realize is there's a warning there. In other words, we must, as we mature in the faith, what that means is we are bringing more and more of ourselves under the uh, guidance of the Holy Spirit and of Christ. We're, we're constantly surrendering ourselves and learning more and more what it looks like to walk with Jesus, to live out the life that He has given us uh, through the gospel. And so there's that warning piece that has to do with repentance, being willing to say, you know what? I haven't been living for Christ in this area of my life. I, you know, I, have, I did do this thing, whatever it may be, and confessing that and repenting, turning from that, turning to Christ. And then he says the third part of that is we need to be a, a teaching, proclaiming, warning, teaching, which includes uh, teaching about God and His Word, uh, teaching doctrine, teaching truths. So you need to know God's Word. And the goal of proclaiming, warning, teaching is to help people mature in Christ. That's, that's kind of the whole goal, uh, is to present people mature in Christ. Or another way to make, to, I guess another way to say that would be to make disciples. One quick little illustration that may help you with this. My son is playing football this year. It's the first time he's played football, uh, organized football. And so he brought home this, this page from spring practice last week of all these plays he had to memorize. Right? So this is the teaching Right? So he's learning all the plays. And once he learns the plays, what's the next step? Well, you need to apply the plays. You need to get on the field and work it out. 
And I think Paul's, that's what Paul's saying. In order to be a mature believer in Christ, you need to know the gospel and then get on the field and work it out. Play it out. Run the plays. Get out there. And we need one another to help each other to do that. So the question is, you know, are we involved with uh, helping our brothers and sisters in Christ mature in Christ? And this is another reason why I think it's, it's key to get into Sunday school classes and gather with people as much as you can just to get to know them and encourage them and pray for them. They can pray for you and build you up. And notice just finally that Paul says that, and I love this, the gospel is for everyone. You see what he says over and over again? He says, in him proclaim warning everyone, teaching everyone that we may present everyone. Because there were some moving into the church that were trying to divide the church, saying, you know, this, there's this knowledge that is only for the elite. And if you have this experience or have this knowledge, then you're in. Right? It's a very divisive. But Paul says, no, the gospel is for everyone. No matter who you are, where you come from, what you look like, what you've done, how much money you have in the bank, it's for everyone. And the good news about that is, that means the gospel's for you. And the gospel's for me. But you do need to understand that if you decide to follow Jesus, that you will inherit great hope of eternity. You'll be with God forever. You'll you'll have great hope, but you may encounter suffering. And you will be thrust into ministry, service, as you help to mature those in Christ. And if you are in Christ, then you should be about the business of sharing the gospel, right? We should be proclaiming the gospel and helping those around us uh, become mature in their faith, grow in their relationship with the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, that's our desire. We want to be people like the Apostle Paul who were willing to go wherever, do whatever, um, so that we may labor with the power You give us in order to present people mature in You. That they would uh, embrace Jesus through faith, And they would learn all about who you are, learn about your ways, and get out on the field and run those plays in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that's our our, uh, desire. We want to see more and more people here in Augusta know you, walk with you. We want to see more people here in our church, in the Hill Baptist Church, grow in you. Lord, I want to see that in my own life. Lord, help us to be intentional. Uh, about getting to know one another, encouraging one another, praying for each other, spurring one another on, challenging each other, that we may present ourselves in Christ, that You would present us uh, in Jesus, mature, blameless, above reproach, uh, and that this city would be able just to catch a glimpse of who You are. And that is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.